Ah, uh, Christmas. Isn't it great? I don't know if you heard about um, the person who got the wrong gift. The parents began to assemble the special Christmas gift they had for their children. And what they had done was they ordered a kit for a treehouse, and they received the plans for it. However, the materials they received were for a sailboat. So they wrote the company to complain, you know, rightfully so. And the company's reply was, while we regret the inconvenience this mistake must have caused you, it is nothing compared to that of the man who is out on the lake somewhere trying to sail your treehouse. And uh, I, I don't know if you heard about these two boys, two young boys. They were uh, spending the night at their grandparents' house for the week before Christmas. And of course, they knew they had to say their prayers. And um, at bedtime, the two boys knelt beside their beds to say their prayers. And the younger one began to pray at the top of his lungs. I pray for a bicycle. I pray for a new Nintendo. And his older brother leaned over, nudged him and said, why are you shouting? God is not deaf. To which the little brother replied, no, but grandma is. It's, uh, it's some season, isn't it? <laughs> Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, a very short passage. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him above or at the right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of God for the people of God, and we say... Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we praise you for these scriptures, and they remind us anew of just who Jesus is. And so help us to understand what it means to truly praise you in our very being and in the deepest aspects of our souls and hearts. And we pray this in the precious and strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. One morning, R.C. Chapman, who was a devout Christian, was asked how he was feeling. And he replied, I'm very burdened this morning. But his happy countenance contradicted what he was saying. I mean, he was just glowing. So the questioner exclaimed in surprise, are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? Yes, he said, but it's a wonderful burden. It's an overabundance of blessings for which I cannot find enough time or words to express my gratitude. And so seeing the puzzled look on the face of his friend, Chapman added with a smile, I'm referring to Psalms, or Psalm 68, 19, which simply states, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Selah, or Amen, which fully describes my condition. In that one verse, the Father in heaven reminds us that he daily loads us with benefits. During this wonderful season, it is good for us to remember who is the source of all of our benefits. There are many ways that God can be worshipped and given praise. And... If you've gone to a number of different churches, maybe different denominations or different traditions, you will see the variety there is in the body of Christ. I have been in high liturgical churches. You know the kind, you know, (laughs) where it's very formal and there's a lot of uh, recitation and that sort of thing. And then others which have been very, very informal. I've been in some where people go up and down the aisles dancing, and some even kind of go into a trance. And, you know, I, I understand that. <laughs> they're exuberant. They're, they're worshiping in their own way. 
Some like to respond to what is being said, while others do not think that's too appropriate. You know, you have to be very staid and and that sort of thing. So what are the reasons why we should praise God, no matter how we are comfortable in our worship? The first reason, according to Scripture, is he's to be praised since he has provided redemption for us. Complete redemption, if you look at verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the grace, the riches of his grace. Redemption. The first reason for praising God is based upon that one word. And that word redemption simply means we've been released. We have been delivered. There's all kinds of things out there which are trying to hold us and keep us and, yes, even destroy us spiritually. But we have been delivered from that in Christ. This word redemption can also refer to ransom. The idea is that it must be done by someone who is in close relationship. It's the idea of a kinsman redeemer who has the right to come to the aid of the person who's owned by another or who is burdened by an unpayable debt. And guess what? That's each one of us. Before we came to Christ, our debt was so high that there was no way we could pay it. And we know the story, though, how God sent his precious son. That's why he sent him, to pay that debt eventually for each one of us. So this one who can redeem is none other than Jesus, the one who saves. That's what his name means. Christ, the anointed one of God. There's no other anointed one. And I would encourage you just to look at other religions and other uh, religious traditions. Some of them are really interesting. And uh, I I can see why people are drawn to these. But every one of them lacks a true redeemer. Many of them promise something to you, but it's always temporary. They'll promise you riches and wealth, and uh, your life will be free of any want. But there's no Jesus. There's no Savior. And so the person is left with their sins themselves to take care of this horrible problem of sin. Only Jesus can do that, and he's done that completely for us. So the one who can redeem is our Lord, Jesus. We read the same idea in Colossians 1.13. There he's called the beloved son of God. He is the one in whom the father is well pleased. Also according to Matthew 3, verse 17. The idea of redemption is simply this. The release from the state of indebtedness or slavery. Release from servitude to sin. You know, if you talk to your unsaved loved ones, you realize they can't serve anything but sin. They don't have a new nature. They just have the old nature. Maybe you remember what your life was like before you came to Christ. You thought you were living life to the fullness, fullest. And then you came to Christ and you realized all the difference in the world. You, you knew you were walking in darkness before and now you're walking in light. Never perfect, but moving on toward perfection. You've been released from that servitude to sin. 1 Peter 1.19 says that we were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. 
and not by perishable things, such as gold and such as silver. There's a great premium today on gold and silver. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you turn on the television and people say, don't go into the stock market, you know, buy your gold and buy your silver. And well, eventually all that's going to perish as well, isn't it? We, we can't trust in gold and silver. It's, it's good to be prudent and uh, to invest in, in such a way that um, others don't have to take care of us. But our ultimate sufficiency is in Christ. Our redemption is accomplished through the wealth of God's grace. Such a deliverance from sin came through the vast resources of the grace of God. Notice grace is always a key word in Paul's writings. He mentions it over and over again in Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, and Galatians, and all of his other epistles, such as Romans. Our redemption costs the price of God's blood and is the evidence of the very grace of God. What is grace? It's not getting what we deserve. We don't deserve God's goodness. But as grace has said, here is the fullness of my goodness as revealed in Christ, and it's all yours in my Son. Certainly, in this life, we don't experience all the fullness of that grace. Eventually, we will. But isn't your life different now than before you came to Christ? Aren't you aware of God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense? Another reason is God is to be praised since he has forgiven us fully in Christ. Again, verse 7, our forgiveness is accomplished through the blood of Christ. Sin always requires a sacrifice. If you study the Old Testament sacrificial system, you'll see this. Uh, and remember Abraham and Isaac. Oh, what a poignant story that is. Abraham is told, sacrifice your son. And he's ready to kill his dear and only son, Isaac. The dagger is drawn, ready to pierce the heart of his precious son. And God says, oh, no, you don't need to do that. I provided another place, way that you can sacrifice. The ram is caught in the thicket for you. Take that ram and sacrifice him. Some of us are wondering how God is going to intervene. Maybe you feel like you've sacrificed a lot and you're wondering, how's God going to work all this out in your life? And you're just kind of wondering about the goodness of God and the way he's working in your life right now. Don't worry, he has that ram caught in a thicket. And he will work things out, and you'll look back and say, that was truly amazing what he did. We can always trust him. So the Old Testament sacrificial system looked forward to the coming of Christ. And those sacrifices were going on 24-7 in Jerusalem, in, in the temple. They didn't quite understand how this redemption would pay out. They were just instructed by God to observe the various sacrifices. Those sacrifices, we believe, covered their sins. So that great word, Yom Kippur, two words, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement that we read about in the Old Testament. Look forward to that ultimate atonement that the Son of God, Jesus, would provide for us. 
We see that forgiveness is through the very blood of Christ. His sacrifice satisfied the justice of God and was and is the ground for our release from the bondage of sin, which includes the total forgiveness of sin. Just think, every sin is forgiven in Christ. Sometimes someone will ask, and can God forgive all sins? Yes, he can, and he does, and he has. Is everyone forgiven? No, they're not. Why? Because they have decided not to seek forgiveness. God doesn't send people to hell, does he? People send themselves to hell by the rejection of the sacrifice and redemption which Christ has already provided. He states that we are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Just think of that. The riches of his grace, they are never ending. They they are constant. The riches of his grace are now evident in all of our lives. Constantly there and always are ours. What Christ has done for us, however, we must do for others. I've met some Christians who, have been, who know they're forgiven, but somehow they can't forgive others. Have you noticed that? <laughs> and they're, they're dredging up things from the past and remembering things that, that occurred and a root of bitterness has crept up and they're just unwilling to forgive. We as believers should be the very first individuals who will forgive others for slights, <laughs> for real harm that has been done against us. Maybe you're thinking of someone even right now. Yeah, forgive that person. And as best as we humanly can, we say we're going to forget it as well. We're going to simply say, Lord, you handle this. I give all this to you. And you take care of this situation. Lord, help us to truly be able to forgive one another. I see a third reason here for praising God. God is to be praised since he has given to us wisdom to understand the mystery of his will. All the way from verses 8 through 14, we read the outworking of God's will for each one and for his church. The mystery of it refers to his absolute determination. Notice a particular phrase that is used here, for the fullness of time, fullness of time. It's the same word that's used in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. That word time is a very unusual word in the New Testament, kairos. It's only used a couple of times. It means when everything was perfect in God's thinking, he sent forth his son. But in this context, it also means that he's in the fullness of time. He's working out everything in your life perfectly. We can trust him. God's timing is not our timing. Have you discovered that yet? And we need to learn to wait on the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm not real good at waiting. But I'm learning, and I think all of us can. During the time of waiting, it's never passive. It's a time of deep meditation. It's a time of spiritual growth. 
It's a time of questioning. Lord, what are you up to? It's a time of remembering. Lord, I remember how you answered this request in the past. And Lord, are you going to do it the exact same way? And sometimes he says, of course not. Don't you get it yet? I'm a very creative God, and I'll answer it any way I want. And uh, you need to grow up, he's saying. You need to mature. And we need to learn to wait upon the Lord. He, he's working out all things. Maybe he needs to build character in a certain area in our lives. Maybe he needs to help us see a particular gift that he's given to us, but it's been lying dormant for years. And, you know, it could be we say, well, I don't have that gift. Someone else does, but we really did have it. And he says, you, you do have it, and I'm going to revitalize that gift so you'll be of use to another person who is desperately in need of um, some intervention at this time by you and by others. Learn to wait upon the Lord as the fullness of time continues in your life. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. In the fullness of time, he's working out everything according to his divine determination. God's grace overflows to us with respect to wisdom and insight. And you see that in verse 8, those two words. We are told that we have this lavished upon us. Isn't that a, and that word lavish means it's a superabundance. That's how God works many times. God, God's never stingy. He just lavishes his love upon us in Christ and gives us whatever it is that we need according to his will. Now, you notice he doesn't give us our wants and desires, but what he knows that we need. Certainly never stingy. So these two words, wisdom and insight, the first refers to seeing things as they really are. The second term alludes to practical daily living. I like what William Barclay says about these two words. He says, Christ gives to us the ability to see the great ultimate truths of eternity and to solve problems of each moment in time. You see that? It combines the practical with the ethereal here. We all know about something about predestination, though we don't understand it. But sometimes uh, we're not all that practical. We're not real sure how all these great truths we read in Scripture really apply to the everyday situation. So the Spirit of God enables us not only to understand the great truths about heaven and about eternity and about who Christ is and what these wonderful theological doctrines, but he also helps us to be truly practical and to live out the Christian life in every moment of time as much as is possible. Colossians 1.9 has the same idea when Paul states, that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we, we have a lot of knowledge, you know, just by reading scripture. God allows us to gain knowledge. I'm sure you know something about angels and about salvation and about the church and God and the Holy Spirit and about human beings, how, how we got here and... Um, uh, many, many other issues. 
But uh, what about being a truly wise person? We, we grow in wisdom. Wisdom is that ability to see things as they really are. And so, oh, how we desperately need wisdom today. Why? Because the evil one, we believe that he's very much existent, will sometimes come in guises in ways that we're, we might think is truth, but it really is not truth. And religion is filled with this, isn't it? So we have to know scripture. So when the counterfeit comes, we will know truly what is counterfeit. And so uh, God has promised to give to us wisdom according to his mis- the mystery of his will. The disclosure of his will displays his wish to communicate to us. He did not keep it to himself. Now the word mystery in the Bible simply means a truth once hidden but is now revealed. The context here is what? The uniting of all things in Christ. There are many mysteries in Scripture. For example, the church. The church was not real clear in the Old Testament. Now, in our Reformed tradition, we unite the church with Israel, but still the idea of congregations and denominations and all that, you know, it just wasn't there in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, especially when we come to the book of Acts, we find the church comes in greater clarity and also in the writings of Paul. Or the resurrection of the body, that's not too clear in the Old Testament. Or the Holy Spirit and how he works. He came upon people from time to time in the Old Testament, but Paul says, you're dwelt and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Or heaven. You have to go over to the book of Revelation, last chapters there, to find a clear description of what heaven would be like. So there are many mysteries in Scripture which have been kind of cleared up, more so, I guess we can say, in the New Testament. The purpose of his will is to unite all things in Christ at the proper time. Now, this verse does not teach universalism or the belief that some would say, God, being a God of love, will accept everyone in the end. You know, that's just how God is. Well, you don't find that in Scripture. Again, people, why would they, if they're without Christ, if they hate Christ, why would they want to go to his heaven? But it does tell us of the universal consummation of God's eternal purpose being performed by Christ. And so, for those who are in Christ, they have to say, we have been chosen in Christ, and all that that involves. You have to untangle all that, you know, (laughs) that predestination election debate here. But certainly, we know this, according to these wonderful verses, we have an inheritance. You are the... You, are, you will benefit greatly beyond the word greatly because of the inheritance in Christ. That's the ultimate will. Now, you know, we, we heard this expression where there's a will, there are many uh, relatives and the like, you know. But uh, you're, you have a wonderful inheritance beyond your imagination uh, in Christ and what he has done. Secondly, We are to the praise of Christ's glory. We glorify Christ, in other words. We never glorify another individual. 
or uh, a denomination. We glorify Christ. And thirdly, it says, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful teaching that is. We can never lose our salvation. Finally, we see this. We must give glory to God since he's given to us his spirit. Verses 13 through 14. We see a most important word here in verse 13. Sealed. I love that Greek word, spragizo. In the Greek culture, the seal had a great legal importance. When stamped on possessions, the seal indicated ownership and guarded the possession against theft. On a document, the seal authenticated the passage and the message and conveyed the authority of the one who stamped it. The seal actually could serve as a signature. Maybe you have uh, received a letter in the mail, a registered letter, and I've, I've received those from time to time, and I'm always wondering, oh, what's in this letter, you know? And some have truly been interesting. <laughs> But uh, that's kind of what this is like, but even more so. A, a sealed document was allowed to be opened only by the addressee. For those in power, such as kings and governors, the seal served as a, truly as a symbol of authority. Three times in Paul's letter, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as what? A seal. You will also see this in Ephesians 4.40, where the instruction is, do not grieve the, the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed until the day of redemption. In 2 Corinthians 1-2, God has put his seal on us and given to us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So every time you sense God is speaking and directing you, it is a guarantee that in the future you will be totally restored to God. By the means of Christ, the word really has a commercial sense to it in these passages. The shipment has been accepted and payment has been made. And the owner's seal is stamped on the product to secure it. The presence of the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will accept believers for whom he has paid the total price in Christ. We could go through the wonderful doctrine of the Holy Spirit in both the Old Testament and New Testament. But for example, in, in uh, Genesis 1-2, we read, The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of deep. In Job 33-4, The Spirit of God has made me, is what uh, Job states. God says to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4-6, Not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit. Jesus was conceived mysteriously by the work of the spirit as revealed in Luke 4, 18. And Jesus cried out, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And of course, the wonderful passage in Galatians five twenty two reminding us to possess the fruit of the Spirit. Every moment, every day is a doxology day. Doxology, of course, simply means giving praise to God. Try doing that throughout the day, 
and see how blessed your day will be. I have discovered the more we praise God, the more I sense God's presence within. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are really the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. And commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to simply enjoy him. How are you enjoying your walk with Christ? Is every moment filled with glorifying him? And living out the Christian life in such a way that your enthusiasm is obvious. I think um, we will spend this Advent season looking at the passage, this passage, and meditating upon it. What it means to truly praise God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for reminding us that we are to praise you from whom all blessings flow And as we experience these blessings, we willingly share them and live them out with the realization that Christ is within and loves us with an eternal love. Lord, bless each one today who is present here and bless our families. Watch over them and help us to be mindful of your great love as revealed in Christ in whose precious name I pray. Amen. And let us stay.